Zane Lowe, Apple Music. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me for another conversation right here on the interview series. I'm Zane Lowe. I'm your host. And this week, we're going to be talking with Demi Lovato. Always honest and open. She puts truth in her music and in conversation. The few times that we've spoken, she's always been very revealing about what she's going through in her life. But this is easily the most revealing conversation that we've had. And you can hear it in the brand new music as well. She has a new album up on Apple Music. You can stream called Holy Fuck. And every single song, to some degree, covers some part of life. It's all there. Redemption, rage finding new love and putting it into words all wrapped up in easily the most hard edge hard rock production and sound that she's ever worked in so we dive into the making of that record and the journey today Demi Lovato always a very compelling conversation right here on the interview series a return to her rock roots they said <laughs> getting back to her original love they said yeah, I don't remember you going this hard <laughs> I never went this you hard. You never went this hard. I never went this hard, no. But I did have, <laughs> I grew up in like the, you know, Warp Tour scene emo I days. Know all that, but you never went this hard. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it. I'm so happy. I love it too. I'm happy Thank for you. you. So congrats. Thank you so much. Yeah, dude. And very few people could step on a on a, a, a metaphorical sort of stage as far as the studios can sit. Very few performers can put themselves in front of this kind of arrangement this kind of musicality and this kind of playing and write the words you've written and actually carry them off um it's powerful music thank you powerful thank you so much where did it come from you know everything that i write about comes from personal experiences and uh i had gone through a, a rough time last year and i actually i went back to treatment and when i came out i had all of this unresolved trauma that like I hadn't dealt with and um, or that I started to deal with in treatment. And then when I came out, I was like, it's OK to be angry and feel those things. So when I was making the album in the first week, I had like a lot of anger. And I think it it showed in a lot of the songs, you know, freak, heaven, mm. eat me. Mm. Um, I had anger. And then and then towards the rest of the album, I started making like songs that were really empowered in my sexuality. And then towards the end, you've got like love songs. So yeah, it's kind you of fell like in love, right? So it's like, so is it, there's an actual arc there to this. <laughs> right, right. It's interesting, you know, starts with the, it, it's almost chronological because, right. because the song, like you, you mentioned at the beginning, right? Um, Freak, that is, people will listen to that and think that you've leaned into an age old image that's thrown the way of, of people who, who think different, who are outliers. You're a freak. You're this, mm -hmm. you're that. Silverchair had a great song called Freak, which summed that up beautifully 25 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. As well. Um, but I think it's actually one of the most honest songs that you've written from your perspective about the way that people have perceived you. Yeah. Rightly, but mainly wrongly. Right? Yes. And so it's really interesting that you've you've started the album with that because it's like for the first time, I feel like you're just unafraid to face that. Yes. I'm unafraid of so many things. It's funny. I'm I'm turning 30 next week. So I'm afraid to get on like roller coasters. You're a Leo? I'm a Leo. Leo season. <laughs> it was my birthday two days ago. We are oh, the same. Oh, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Lion. So I'm like afraid to do certain things, but when it comes to being sure of who I am, I'm not afraid to release this music and for it to be in people's faces and have these songs that are so meaningful and empowering. And it's just like, this is me, take it or leave it. But that I feel has been a constant. I don't feel like you've ever been afraid to let the music speak for you, even when there's been times and you haven't been able to do it consciously yes. yourself. Like, you know, even the last album, it's all in the title. Yeah. 
there's two sides to the album. Yeah. You put it in the title. Yeah. And it's kind of like, there's always been this inbuilt bravery in you with the arts. What's Thank different you. for you when it comes to art versus being yourself outside the art? And how do you find dealing with these emotions when it's not in the art? Well, I spent, here's the thing. When I started my first two albums, I feel like my instincts were on track. And I was doing the music that I loved listening to. Mm -hmm. And then I strayed away from it because I thought, well, I want radio songs. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want songs that are going to be played on the radio. So I started doing more pop music. And I started to lose myself mm. as well as myself as an artist. It's so funny you mentioned that because during the middle of that pop phase, I've told you this before, you probably don't remember. I saw you waiting to catch a people carrier up to a party during Grammy week one time and I recognized you. And you didn't look like a pop star. You looked like a rock star. Oh, thanks. And, but I was listening to the music and it didn't reflect what I was seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And it... Honestly, it didn't reflect what was inside of me. And I would get on stage and I'd be in these leotards and these stiletto shoes that I was miserable in. And I didn't, I danced, I did choreography and stuff like that. And I just wasn't happy. And so I think that that was, you know, that led to me completely losing myself to find myself again. Mm -hmm. And I've started to find myself over time. And I, it's funny that when you just go back to who you were in the beginning, like, as a 15-year-old, my instincts were correct, and I just got to stick to those, but harder. <laughs> so what, what would you have said to your 18-year-old self as you were starting to take a, a slight turn in the wrong direction, if with the benefit of hindsight? Don't listen to anybody but yourself. Mm. This isn't about what anybody wants from you. It's about what you want but from you. But that takes an enormous amount of self-awareness and self-confidence that yes. comes from doing work. And I, and I know that if I, I ask, I ask people that question very rarely because I think it's actually a bit trite, but I thought it, it served its purpose in this conversation. But mm -hmm. I, I, I would actually not know what advice to give to myself when I was younger because I just don't think I would have had the skills. And you know what? I don't think that I would have been able to intake that information like in the way that I'm saying it now. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of conviction in what I'm saying because I had to go through so much to learn about myself. Yeah. And if I, you know, people ask me this too, like, what would you say to your younger self? And I, I would I would say, you're beautiful. You don't need to lose weight. You don't need to yeah. judge yourself so hard. It's like, but I couldn't have intake, in I couldn't have been able to comprehend those words at that time anyways. I just was in a position where everything I did was under a microscope. And mm -hmm. so finding myself was under a microscope as well. And in, in, able, in, in turning that into something which is actually functioning, you need a team around you now, that creates an interesting dynamic. And I think with, with wisdom and work, we're able to see the purpose of people in our lives. It changes as well. Mm -hmm. Like when you're young, you know, you think people, when looking back on it, when you're in the middle of the trauma, you're like, even was like staring me down the wrong way and this yes. and everything else. But you also had a team that were just kind of almost being guided by your energy as well. And if you don't know who you are at that moment, you don't know ultimately what it is you want to say. It's an interesting dynamic between the people you work with and, and your own relationship with yourself, I think. Yes. And I would even take it one step farther and say that the team that was around me was dictating my decisions and trying to influence the direction that I was going. They were trying to do that. Yes. So it wasn't even like, 
I just didn't know who I was and this this team right, was right, following right. me. It was mm-hmm. like, I didn't know who I was and I had a team that was trying to force me into a direction Are to be a this yeah. hyper feminine pop star. And I was so unhappy doing that. And what did unhappy feel like at the end of shows? Most people talk about the end of shows, they skip off stage and there's an adrenaline high mm-hmm. and they get into a routine of trying to calm themselves down in, in lots of different ways. Sometimes it's partying, sometimes it's just, you know, they've, they've gone past that as maturity to their process. Mm-hmm. What's But what's it like when you're miserable? When you walk off stage and you can still hear people screaming your name, but it's not the name that you want them to know. Right. Well, I did two tours. I did the Future Now tour mm-hmm. and that tour, I was so unhappy. I But I was sober. So I didn't come off stage and I didn't party. I didn't do anything like that. I just spent time alone in my bus and tried to watch TV to like, I, I escaped through TV. Yeah. You know, I watched a lot of The Walking Dead, which I love. <laughs> But like I binged that shit. <laughs> and then for my last tour that I did, the um, Tell Me You Love Me tour, uh, that tour partially like in Europe, I wasn't sober anymore. So I did do a lot of partying. So mm-hmm. I've had like both elements of I've experienced unhappiness and isolation and mm-hmm. I've experienced unhappiness through um, through medication. But neither time. It's safe to say based on the timeline we've established up to this point, getting into holy f- have you done a tour where you've been resolutely stoked with what you're about to do? Yes. I don't think I've ever done a tour where I've been, maybe when I was 16, when I was going out on my first tour. Yeah, which is all fun. Yeah, which is so exciting. But but ever since I've been in the game, you know, I haven't had an experience like this where I'm in rehearsals and I'm like, wow, I can't fucking wait. to perform and do my thing and show the world who I am. I realize that we don't really, haven't really known you at all. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Musically, at least. You've been very transparent about your life. Yeah. And I think it's been hugely inspiring. It doesn't surprise me that you're the Global Citizen Ambassador for Mental Health. You've been one of the strongest and loudest advocates for openness in that space in the last five years in particular. Mm-hmm. And I admire that greatly. You know that. We've spoken about that. Yeah. Thank you. But musically, this is a rebirth yeah. In, a, in, in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very violent sounding reboot. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the making of the music, right? Because we always talk about life and I love our life talks, but we really got an album we can dive into on this one. Yeah. Um, so you had anger in you, but it's one thing. You can, you can translate that anger into lots of different shapes. Yes. You could have written a beautiful song on piano. You could have written a song like Help Me on a different instrument and it would have still been angry. Yeah. How did you get the sound? The sound, you know, it was so important having Oakfelder mm. in this project, which is interesting because the day that we met and worked together, the very first day that we met and worked together, we wrote Sorry Not Sorry, a totally different sound mm. than all of this. Mm. But I told him what I wanted to do and he was like, let's let's go for it. He loves music, um, all kinds of music. And um, I remember him telling me about him being at a Rage Against the Machine show. So I knew that he was a fan of hard music. And um, I was like, all right, let's get into the studio. Let's do this. And then we just started like messing around with sounds. I was flowing with lyrics, like just they were coming out of me like I was vomiting. Yeah, the lyrics on this record are nuts. Thank you. And I and I had a co-writer named Laura Veltz who was super um, important to have on this album as well mm-hmm. because she just was able to help 
form it into like poetry. You know, I was I was sitting there throwing up the lyrics and she was like, all right, let's take this and let's take that out of what you said and make it fit beautifully. But um, I wanted two things with this album. I wanted the sound to be emotive. I wanted people to feel from the sound, but I also wanted people to feel from the lyrics. And no matter what I'm saying in the lyrics, I want you to still have an, like, I want you to be able to listen to the song. And if you miss all the lyrics, you still love it. But if you go in and you dive into the lyrics, you find some treasures. I don't think it's it's possible really to have an experience listening to this album and not be drawn into the narrative because there are some words and phrases and sentiments on this album, which are not often heard. Thanks. There's a sense of boldness and, and, and courageousness in the words you're writing and just, just like you're ripping yourself open on this record. Thank you. And addressing a lot of stuff. Yes, I am. So my question to you on that subject is, how did you put your handbrake? How did you keep your handbrake off? How did you know that you just had to open up and not and not be concerned about repercussions at all? Because there's the writing on here is brave, and I've spoken to artists for thirty years. There is a handbrake; mm-hmm. it does exist. I think we might be talking about the same subject. Multiple songs. Multiple songs. Multiple songs. Um. I mean, I would honestly. I mean, I know the one you're talking about, and we can talk about that, and we should talk about that. But I'm talking about multiple songs. I mean, skin of my teeth. Right. Right. I mean, you've talked about rehab and things before, but this is a different thing. I wanted to make. You know, I left treatment with incredible friends each time that I've gone and I've gone several times that's not a secret but each time I've left with incredible friends incredible insight and into who they are and how we all struggle and we're one in the same and I wanted yeah. to make an anthem for everyone that I knew everyone I don't know and for myself about this is what addiction is like the bridge is um I'm your mother, I'm your father, I'm just a product of the problem. You know, it's like, and I may have those out of order, but. um, (laughs) Better learn those, your tour coming up, (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, I know them, I just forget because (laughs) hence why I've been into treatment so many times. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. Ah, The skin regenerates, but the brain never forgets. (laughs) No, it's like Swiss cheese up there, I swear to God. Let me ask you about friendship that you make, friends you make in rehab. Is it a different kind of friendship? And does it, is it it hard sometimes to conduct the the friendships that, that come from everyday life when these ones come with a different depth? There's a different depth. You know, I actually, I've had trauma that has placed barriers in front of me and certain people. So older men, I don't, like that kind of brings up trauma for me, right? And at one point I was in treatment this last time with only one other woman and the rest were men. And so my guard was up. And when I let that guard down, because I was like, you have to heal your trauma. You can't be stuck in your story. I was able to connect with these men who genuinely just wanted to connect on a level of understanding. Mm -hmm. And I've made friends of all ages. I've lost friends of, I've lost friends that were around my age. And those hurt so deeply because we've been in the trenches together. You address this on Dead Friends. There's yes. a, it's a song that ultimately addresses survivor's guilt. Yeah, definitely. I had a lot of survivor's guilt after my overdose. And because um, there was, you know, right after that, Mac Miller died. 
And I it just put everything into perspective for me of like that that could have been you, that almost was you. And how are you going to how are you gonna live your life now? Um and it was it was really it affected me a lot. All of us. I mean, um yeah, his his loss every time we lose someone that we don't know personally, personal yeah. loss is one thing. But knowing the people we feel we know. Yeah. Because the art gives so much. And it's a different kind of relationship, but it hurts still. Yeah, absolutely. People that shaped your childhood or people that have been influential to your work or even people that I didn't know their music, but like knew who they were. That's still, it, it puts things into perspective. Like I never understood, like, I remember the morning when we lost, when we found out that, we, that Chris Cornell had passed away. And to this day, I just cannot put that together. Mm. You know what I mean? Like every time I ever spoke and spent time with him, he was so, even when he was low, he was searching for a complete picture. Mm-hmm. He was committed to the journey. Right. It didn't make any sense. And, you know, you listen to the music differently, huh? And that could have been you. Yeah. It was super, super close down to the wire, right? Yeah. I, um, doctor said, had I, I mean, when they found me, I was turning blue, um, and, Doctor said I had like five to ten more minutes left. If if no one had come in when they did, I wouldn't be here today. So you then go on a journey to try and find ways to forgive yourself and to face your trauma and heal so mm-hmm. as not to find yourself in a dark place again. Mm-hmm. I'll ask a question. I hope you take it the right way. How do you mend the relationships with your family and friends? Because as a parent, mm-hmm. I know that the greatest fear I have is that I couldn't protect my children. Right. And so that's going to have an impact on the people closest to you. And Of course. That's a whole other journey as well, right? And you've got to take that on whilst you're working on yourself. That's just a lot. I mean, even recovery is just a lot. Recovery is a lot. And with time comes trust. You know, I never have come out of treatment, I mean, maybe the first time, expecting people to trust me right away. It was a learning experience of, okay, people are going to have to learn to trust you again. The only way they can do that is by you proving yourself and like, and not just talking, but taking actions that are towards your recovery. Um, I have, my family is incredible Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I've had members of my family struggle struggle with addiction, so they are very understanding of it and they know what it's like. Do they worry to this day? Absolutely. Like, that's never probably going to go away with what I put them through. Um, put yourself through. <laughs> and put myself through. That's, you know what? That's it. That's it right there. That's it. Is what I put myself through. And as, uh, as a reaction of that, they, or I'm sorry, as a consequence of that, they ended up suffering. And so well, there's a great quote in the Dave Grohl book where he says that um was passed to him and he shared it with us, which is you're only as happy as your unhappiest child when you're um, a parent. Yeah. <laughs> and it really does hit home when you're a parent when you realize that, you know, you, you take this responsibility on. But I think the reason why I share that is because it, it, it draws back to that statement and it was really about what you were doing to yourself ultimately. Mm-hmm. That's the pain that people feel. Yeah. Yeah, know? exactly. Um I I don't know why I want to say this, but I can't wait to have kids someday. I can't wait to understand that statement. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. 
it's the best. Yeah. And it's it really puts a lot of things in you. I do think life is like two journeys if, if you end up having children and you'll find a way to have multiple journeys whether you choose not to have kids, no judgment. But for totally. me, it was like who I was before and then who I am now. It's like, I look different. I feel different. I think different. I act right. different. Everything is different. Right, right. I found some photos of me pre-kids, man. And I was just like, wow, bro, you were just like a mess you know? <laughs> <laughs> compared to now. So, I mean, it's, it makes a huge difference. As we continue to go through some of the tougher songs on the record and then we're going to move into the, into the more fun ones and into the loved ones. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about that you were triggered by trauma when when dealing with older men and you, mm-hmm. you tackled the subject to some degree on 29. Was that song a reflection of the work that you did in rehab? Was it a part of the healing? Yes. And also when I turned 29, I remember I was on vacation and I just realized like I'm 29 now and it put things into perspective. It put everything in, into perspective. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm very careful with the way that I answer these questions um, because I, I feel like the song says it all. I don't have to s- say too much, to be honest. But I did. turning 29 was a huge eye-opener for me. And then going into treatment and having realizations um, led to my transformation, my release of uh, the emotion that was put into this song. But when you put a song like that out, um, as someone like yourself who commandeers a lot of attention, um, attracts a lot of scrutiny from people, I think primarily through not just the quality of your art and the life you've lived in the entertainment business from a young age on, there's always a fascination about child stars who continue to grow because mm-hmm. it doesn't always happen that way, mm-hmm. right? But also just because the transparency and honesty with which you've carried yourself throughout your life, right? It's it's a It's a kind of cocktail, Mm-hmm. It's a cocktail for inspiration for fans and a cocktail for disaster from a yes. media point of view. And that's a line totally. you've constantly had to walk your whole your whole life. So yeah, putting this song out must be about the most anxious ex- or at least the most heightened experience of that li- of walking that line. Yeah, I mean, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a ton of anxiety about putting out this song. You asked earlier about the handbrake. Where's the handbrake, yeah. right? Yeah. I just said, I have to go for this. I have to own my truth. Yeah. And, um, and I do still walk that line very finely. Um, I've learned that sometimes saying less is more. And, um, <laughs> and so, and it's taken me to 30 years old mm, to, mm. to maybe learn that. But, um, but here I am approaching the way that I express myself differently in front of the media because it's it's okay to have boundaries, you know. It is absolutely okay to have boundaries. Yeah. And um, what a mad life though. I mean, do you ever sort of think or give yourself, well, first of all, let me ask you this because when, before you arrived, there's a whole lot of people started to assemble um, that care about you. And mm-hmm. you've surrounded yourself now with a great team. Yes. Like, otherwise, you wouldn't be able to make a record like this and do what you want to go do. So you have creative control and people who want to support your vision. Mm-hmm. But it's still a lot of people around you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's been like that since as far back as you can remember. Yeah. How did that affect your ability to spend time on your own? You know, I'm an introvert. Um, and I... This must be a nightmare for you then. <laughs> well, I look at it as like, this is my day job. Right. And people who go to work and are introverts and they have their nine to five, they have to be around Mm -hmm. people all the time too. But then when I go home, I like to have me time. You know, I like to either spend it with, you know, one or two loved ones, but nothing like... Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. I I like to recharge with my dogs Mm -hmm. in my bed, Mm -hmm. watching TV that I love or playing guitar. Um, And so it's something... I've been used to since I was 
15 years old. That yeah. was when I signed my first deal, yeah. my record deal. Yeah. And um, would you would you recommend that to other 15 year olds? No, no. And my reason why is is that you don't know who you are. You know, you don't you don't have a sense of who you are honestly until your 20s. You finally get like a sense of who you are. At least in, this is my experience. Then by your 30s, you're kind of like, okay, I have it figured out. Now I now I know what I want to do with my life and this is how I'm going to, you know, um, go for it. But in your teens, it, people who aren't in the spotlight are still trying to figure themselves out. They're going to parties. They're making mistakes. Making mistakes. And it's like if you're a 15-year-old and you're making mistakes, it's, it's magnified. And so I don't know. If I were to have kids, because I've thought about this too, if I were to have kids and they came to me and said, mom, I want to be in the industry, I would have to say like, please wait until you're 18. Like give yourself a childhood. Yeah. You know? So are you any closer to working out what was motivating you at such a young age to want to be this kind of precocious talent in a grown up world? There what? well, I was very inspired by Shirley Temple. <laughs> so random. I know it's so random. I don't think I've dropped one yet. Maybe one. I have to... No one's ever mentioned that. <laughs> I just, I looked at her and was like, wow, she's how you old? You are a weird and wonderful person, I'm a Demi Lovato. Oh, I'm weird. People don't know this about me, but I'm weird. I think everyone's got a pretty good idea now, mate. <laughs> I had to break it to you. <laughs> yes. So she was like, she was young and she was a movie star. And I was like, I want to be that, right? Like I just always knew in my heart that I wanted to be in the position that I'm in today. Um, and so I chased it at a very young age and I started trying to, I did things like be in beauty pageants, be in commercials, get on television. And things. you were driving this narrative even from a young age. It wasn't, you know, and I'm, I, I don't mean this, I'm not casting any judgment, right. but the, 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 the dynamic wasn't your parents pushing you to these things. You were saying, take me to these things. Yes, I was saying, take me to these things. Now, I do feel like there may have been an element of both yep. um, because I think it excited my family. Mm -hmm. But I also think that... Um, I was craving it so bad that I would rather homeschool and work on music mm -hmm. than go to parties and go to do this and be on a dance team or whatever it is. Like, I wasn't, I didn't want to be a cheerleader. I wanted to be at home playing guitar, writing songs. God, this is a fucking disaster movie because then you go and you get success and you want to go and experience that party environment and socialize. Yes. And guess what? Everyone's going to give you what? ever you want yes. and not tell anybody the next day anything you did. Right, right, right. And you, there's no consequence. Right. And the consequence was like, if or, I did get the consequences, media said, exactly. well, there was that, but there was also the element of like, which was super fucked, but like, I was paying the bills. So if I didn't come home one night and, my, and I worried my mom yeah. all night because I never came home and showed up at eight in the morning... She would be like, where were you? You didn't answer your phone. You're grounded. And I'd be like, ha, no, I'm not. Yeah. Guess who's got the power dynamic now? And so it 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 was weird. And I also was like, I was so overworked as a teenager. Yeah. I didn't know how to say no to things. Did you actually ever say those words? Like, I can pay the bills here, so I'll do whatever I want. Yeah, I did. Wow. It's so yeah. crazy. It's so gross. Like, I look back you're and I'm like, kid. repulsed. You, but you're a kid. Kids say like that shit all the time. Yeah, Just those that's aren't true. the words they use. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. That's so crazy. And then you're also partying with people who you're paying their bills too most of the time. So they can't. I did have friends that I was just giving stuff to and 
partying with and paying for this and paying for that. And I didn't necessarily pay their bills, but yeah. they definitely were taking They're advantage. They're on the payroll. Yeah. They're on the fun roll. So, okay. So the miracle of survival. Mm-hmm. Here, here you are sitting here. Mm-hmm. We've met and then you nearly died. We've met again. Mm-hmm. And then you've gone back to rehab. We're meeting again. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for it. Oh, thank you. I'm grateful for it too. <laughs> you know, and I think about that dynamic of life and death and how it's such a fine line and yet you continue to defy it. And I, and I, and I wonder where that faith sits now because religion plays a pretty important role in this album. I mean, it's called Holy Fuck. My faith is, it's, my spirituality is based in energy. I was raised uh, Christian and I went to this big, fancy um, mega church mm-hmm. and saw a lot of things that I didn't like, felt outcasted. And when I moved to California, um, kept going to church, but then kept hearing things that were not okay because I was figuring myself out. And I'm like, how are you going to tell me who I should and should not love Yeah, and be attracted to? Yeah. And... Um, and so, and that's where it falls apart because the principle of religion is actually a beautiful thing. It's community yeah. driven. The idea is to find solace and to find comfort in the arms of others and not just yourself to help you through tough times. Yeah. The problem is, is then the framework gets more and more rigid mm-hmm. because it appeals to money right. and business. Right. And it just pushes people with big hearts out of yeah. the room. Yeah. And when I found out that the owner of the church or the pastor of the church bought a $20 million plane with the church's money. There it is. After I was saving up my money for offerings. You're a d- I was like, I'm out of here. I'm sorry. You're a d- Yeah. You do that shit, you're a dick. Yeah. I've had like this kind of burned view. You're out. And there's other things too that I'm not mentioning, but there, you know, this, this album <clears throat> was, there's a song on this album called Heaven, which is actually about a Bible verse. It's a good one. So this Bible verse is Matthew 530. It mm-hmm. says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to lose one part of your body than your entire body to hell. And it's about <laughs> masturbation. Right. And so I was like, I was told at a very young age, which I should not have been told that Bible verse. Um, I was told that in church. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, like, I can never do this. Who That's so up, shameful. Who wakes up and decides to tell and a kid decides that? To tell a kid that? Who goes up? Oh, today's the day. Big life lesson coming up. I don't remember exactly what age I was, but it was too young, too young and not old enough to be discussing that topic. But anyways, I heard that. I feared. I lived in fear. And then as I got older, I just I felt so much shame around my sexuality because yeah. of the church that I was raised in, and um. And so when I was taking the power back of my anger, you know, I was like, I was thinking of all the things that have suppressed me in my life, uh, whether it be relationships, whether it be people of my past team or whether it be the church, I wanted to take my power back. And I was like, I have my own sex toy. Like, I'm not ashamed of this anymore. So I was like, Fuck it, I'm going to write this song about this Bible verse and it's going to be called heaven because it. I'm going to hell because it feels like heaven. And there's the line. You get one for that. <laughs> it's a great line. Thanks. You can sum up. Great songs can be summed in one line. I'm going to hell because it feels like heaven is up there. And by the way, that would sit in any song by like any of the great like 80s hair metal bands of all time. Right? I'm going to 
because it feels like heaven. Like, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's two very distinctive conflicting sides on this album that are facing each other down and through the middle of it is this beauty, this beautiful sort of one singular principle, which is love. There's the dichotomy in the album, which is cool because the yeah. title plays on that too, holy and f- Correct. You know, there's so much dichotomy on this yeah. album and I, this is exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. You got rage. Yes. And redemption. Uh-huh. And then you got love, just like uh-huh. both those things are, um, they are constructs. Mm-hmm. They were invented, right? Yeah. Love is pure. Yeah. But that's the purity thing. Yeah. So as long as I've known you, which is coming up now five years or whatever, I feel like this has been the thing you've searched the most for. Mm-hmm. And used your music to express that. I'm not trying to betray any trust or be too personal with no. you. It comes through in your music. Yeah. And you've written love songs on here that are like top, like upper echelon love songs. Thanks. You know, the last song on the album is one of the boldest sounding love songs I've heard in a long time because it just declares life. It's yeah. like I'm in. Uh-huh. So tell me a story about writing that song because most people pull the handbrake before they go that far. Yeah. Well... Obviously, the song is about falling in love with someone. And um, and this song was... I, I actually haven't written love songs in a long time. Like, I don't think that... If I go through my catalog, there's maybe like three or four love songs in the past few albums. There's a lot of searching for a, a desire for being understood and being accepted. Yes. Right? Which is a step towards being loved. Yes. But... but Actually writing a song about, hey, I'm in love with you. Yeah, I found it, yeah. I found it. Mm. Like, that has not existed um, in a lot of my music. And so I was like, you know, I started feeling these feelings and I was like, I have to get them out of my chest. And I wanted to write a song that was you know, inspired by Iris, by the Goo Goo Dolls. (laughs) The opening chords have that really nice reflective feeling to it. Thank you. And... And I just, I wrote it and my whole heart is in that song. Have you played it to the gentleman in question? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course. Come on, man. We're not going to have this conversation ever again, I hope. This may be, if this song is true, this may be the only time we ever have this conversation. So where were you when you played it? Like that is, that's probably, you're probably more scared about that one than any other song you've ever played for anyone. Well, this person understands music really well. And so I would send like even the roughs or the demos. Um, I'd just like send it to them and right. then like await on my phone and be like, ah. <laughs> but then when it was done, I got to play yeah. it with him. And it was just like a beautiful moment, a really beautiful moment. And like, just like, like who let these butterflies in here? You know what I'm saying? There were so many, my stomach was going to explode. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, congratulations. That's all we can Thank hope for you. anyone on this planet is they find someone that they can share it with. Totally. Um, it just, it, it really does. It, it may be twice as many, you know, maybe two people instead of one, but it's an infinite amount of joy that, that, that it creates in terms of sharing things. Um, so what, I got to go back in time now because... If this is a return to your rock and roll roots, what sort of inspired the sound of this album and the rock and roll on this record? Like, what's on the Demi Lovato classic rock playlist or timeless rock rock and roll playlist? Well, what's interesting is I grew up listening to, my mom listened to like soulful music mm-hmm. 
And then I, and I was raised in Texas, so I was around a lot of country music. Mm-hmm. But then when I got to an age where I was like, mm, I'm going to pick what music I want to listen to. Mm-hmm. You know, you always get there. Everyone gets to that age where they're like, no, this is what I want to listen to. I have those roots instilled in me because that's what I grew up with. But then when I was about 13, 12, 13, I started listening to the emo scene bands um, that led into more like hardcore and mm-hmm. some metal and like. Like what? Like give me a couple of names. Like um, what? Like, like when you're talking hardcore, like what are we talking about here? Like there's a band called Maylene and the Sons of Disaster, which okay. is like this southern <laughs> All right. hard band that was really they were like one of my faves i this other metal band that i loved was job for a cowboy <laughs> job for i've never heard of these bands like this is what i do for a living and you just like, look <laughs> okay go a- check them out all right i will i grew up in the age of like singles right? right so it's not like albums that i was necessarily like a huge fan of although job for a cowboy and mailing in the sense of disaster like i love their albums so yep. i don't know why i'm saying that but you know i yeah, and then I listened to a lot of the emo scene bands. I also like one influence that really changed where I wanted to go directionally into music was um, Kelly Clarkson's Since You've Been Gone. That's a monster record. It was a monster record. And I saw the transformation of her as an artist go from, you know, R&B, mm. soul, mm. pop mm. to pop rock. And I was like, wait, that's what I want to do. I can do that. And there's also Ashley Simpson, La La. And I was like, I want to do that. And so I got like inspired. And then I found bands like Paramore and Flyleaf. Have you met Haley? I have met Haley. I've known Haley since I think I met her when I was like 15. So let's just have a Haley appreciation moment because I've gotten to meet and get to know. And Haley's become a friend of mine as well. And she's just, um, she's a supporter. She's a real like genuinely caring person about people who she likes. Like she doesn't suffer fools. Yeah. But if she likes you, she's really there for you. She's rooting for you. Yeah. Was she was she supportive and helpful during some of the tougher times for you? I can imagine she would have been. I don't know her well enough hmm. to I'm sure she was. You know, I had a lot of people pulling for me that I didn't necessarily talk to. Hmm. Um she seems like the type of person that would be pulling for, real. for me um during those times. But um yeah, I didn't get to know her that well. Mm. But um, you two should. She, yeah, she's I mean, she's one of my biggest influences yeah. and melodically, lyrically, just truthfully. All of it. Yeah. All of it vocally. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. vocally. Oh my God. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean that she's still my dream collaboration. It's never happened. But she's still my dream collaboration. <laughs> she's touched. I mean, to be fair to you and anybody and else. To be, to be honest, I gave up on that dream collaboration. So I didn't say it for years, but that's always been my dream collaboration. <laughs> she's tough. She's a tough cookie, though, man, with that stuff. Like, who was it? Was yeah. it little Uzi Vert, who's like the biggest ass on the planet, was like, Haley Williams, please. And she yeah. was like, dude, I just don't want to be that famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. She's low key. Yeah. She's low key. Uh, the tour. Lies before you, your third tour, your first tour. Yeah. It's your first tour. It's, really. it's my first tour. It's your first tour. Now, I'm, I'm a little worried um, for yourself and for the audience because the power of these performances <laughs> required on these songs. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the moments, and, and, I, and I, I know the, I've listened to the album like two and a half times now, all the way through. Um, and I think it's, I think it's fantastic, but I can't, I can't Thank think you. specifically of the moments 
on what songs where you seem to have this out-of-body vocal experience. Uh-huh. But there's a few of them. But, oh, there's a lot of them, which I'm, like, low-key stressed about because I'm, like, my voice can— Your voice can only handle so much. It's but I've got tour. so many high notes in these songs that I'm like, okay, let's it's, go. It's a tour tour. So when you're in the studio and you're recording these songs and you and you know that you have to take— it, It's up to you to take it to that level that the music cannot, the producer cannot, the yeah. players cannot. It's your goal. How do you get there? I've never asked you that. Yeah. How do you CeeLo Green said to me once, if I mean it, I can reach it. How do you yeah. reach how do you reach it? Well, you know what's funny is when I'm in the studio with Oak, he's always like, You can hit that note. And I go, No, I can't. Like I cannot hit the note that you want me to hit right now. Um, because I'll want to go for it. Yeah. And I'm like, No, 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 I can't do it. And he's like, You can do it. I'm like, No, I can't. He's like, just give it a couple tries. I give it a couple tries and I get it. And I'm like, Wait, how did you know I could do that? And he's like, because. And so it's really great to have people in there that are encouraging you. Yeah. Um, but also, like, I know, here's the thing. Records are forever. When you listen to a record, you're going to hear it for the rest of your life. Correct. People are going to hear it for the rest of their lives anytime they want to hear it. If you don't put everything into that record, you're going to be listening to it 20 years from the ro- down the road thinking, oh, I should have hit that high note. Or I could have done this lick or I could have done whatever it is and I don't necessarily have to do that in the live show but as long as it's on the record Mm -hmm. I can go for it and I have so much fun creating that I do have a little bit of a problem when it comes to being in the studio and taking it on the road because like in the studio I'll be like oh I can hit this note and this note and it's just not realistic to do it on tour yeah of course um but you've done it I mean I've seen you do it thank you I mean that voice that you have, that ability to 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 get there, um, is the power that you that, that you bring to your performance is is I think now uh, at, at a legacy level. I, I just don't see any of your peers who can do that. Wow, thank you. Right, no one can hit that note. No one can <laughs> go that you. far and deliver like that. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> thank you. And you're gonna have fun with the old stuff too. I mean, fans are gonna be wondering how you wrestle with some of these bigger hits in your catalog now that you've come out there and you've made this disgusting sounding album. Well, don't get too ahead of yourself because I made my hits disgusting as well. <laughs> you filthed them up? Oh, I beefed them the f*** up. They're, they go so hard now. I'm What's so been the excited. most fun one to reconfigure and turn into a, into a disgusting beast? Um... Heart attack and cool for the summer. So what? Okay, okay. So cool for the summer. You got to give me some insight into how into how did you was it was it comedy to you to approach that song from this perspective just for a split second to go when the first time the band like fired up on the arrangement you suggested on that did you just crack up laughing because that song is not meant to be that right? It, well, it does have those that guitar. Yeah, but in it's the hook, not like. But it, you're right. It you're right. Three hundred guitars. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Um. I, you know, I, my music director was in the, was the one that shaped it and everything. Yeah. And I just came in and when I heard it, I was like, that's fucking it. Oh my God. That's amazing. And I've been rehearsing to it and just like going crazy to it. It's just so great. I'm so excited for my fans to hear. It's going to be amazing. There was a billboard that jumped out at me when I was driving down um, La Brea. It was a Twitter advertising their power to be able to manifest destiny by taking quotes from people and putting them up on billboards and proving They should that- manifest and not turn into Instagram with TikTok. Agreed. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. Agreed, <laughs> agreed with that. But you know, when you start having to put billboards up for the first time, something's wrong. So, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> 
before Twitter. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm still on it. Anyway. <laughs> right, anyway. right. But it was, you were one of those quotes. It was like, one day I'm going to do the Super Bowl. Oh, right. I remember that. You'd have to have signed off on it, I'm sure. Maybe they yes, don't. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah, I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. And and it was like, okay, it's actually kind of, a, it's actually a cool, for me, someone who believes in manifest destiny and the idea of shaping and, and, and energy in order to manifest your dreams. I think it's actually a pretty cool marketing campaign. Yeah. But, but, but what it sort of drove home to me was that somewhere along the line, even through all of the drama and the trauma and the sadness and the near-death experiences, that somewhere along the line, you have been trying to get yourself here. Yeah. You have been telling yourself, right? Yeah. Throughout that, I can do this. Yeah. Is that fair to say? Totally fair to say. It's also fair to say that I've had lifelong dreams, you know, that I've wanted to uh, reach and things that I've wanted to accomplish and some of which I still haven't. And so I still want to keep going until I do. Um, like what? I think that let's a lot of artists... Let's be Twitter. Uh, let's be Twitter. <laughs> I think a lot of artists would love to play the halftime show at the Super Bowl. I mean, like, that's pretty fucking iconic. Well, you're halfway there. <laughs> you did the national anthem. I did do the you, national you anthem. You got the pass on your laminate collection, you yes, know what I mean? <laughs> totally. And then, you know, I want to win a Grammy. And over time, I've had, like, a funny relationship with with that where I've been like it started out being like if I don't win a Grammy then I didn't succeed in my career and then I got to a point where I was like it's just a trophy and what what, what just before we get to the just a trophy phase what do you think is ultimately inspiring that ambition is it watching it as a kid on the TV yes right it was watching it as a kid on the TV and thinking wow I want to do that someday wow yeah. and like practicing an acceptance speech at like 11 the dreams of children eh? yes like we, we just can never forget that so much of our life's journey is manifested in a short period of early life yeah absolutely it's like a soul contract <laughs> you know it's like you you sign which your would soul have been a, which I think supported um the goo goo dolls back in 19 <laughs> Uh, Don't you think they sound like a 90s Yeah, band? yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> K-Rock's Weenie Roast 1993 with performances from No Doubt, Gin Blossoms. Soul contract. Soul contract. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. One hit wonder, soul contract. Fucking hell, they never got past that one hit. Um, It is a soul contract. And um, and it, it's it's something that you obviously felt acutely. Yes. Because feeling is manifesting. It's not thinking, it's feeling. Yeah. Um, what do you manifest now without betraying too much trust? What can you tell us that, that really brings you, gives you feeling now that ambition has perspective? Turning 30. I keep going back to this, but I'm just so excited. Get over it, but sure. (laughs) Turning 30 has been like such an eye opener to me because it feels like a door that's opening to a whole new chapter of my life. Mm. And I through that door can see things like purpose and what makes me happy and the new chapter we talked about earlier, like starting a family. Intention, that, right? Intention. Intention is yes. the key word, I think, as you, as yeah. you mature. Through that door, I see things like taking time off for myself um, to work on my spirituality, to travel to places that I want to go to that I've never been or to and then once I do that is like take time off to start a family to raise children and um, you know things that bring me joy outside of this industry because this industry is all that I've known since I was a child and it'll be scary but it'll also it can be, be done Demi. it can be done and it's rewarding yeah. I've seen so many people do it you know they they leave the industry not saying that I would leave but 
they leave the industry and even if it's just for a moment and they come back. Can I give you a bit of perspective from what I've heard from over and over again from people who cross this this bridge? Yeah. As scary as it is. You stop working for the industry and you start making the industry work for you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right? From 15 years old, you worked for the industry. Yeah, right. And you survived it. I did. And I learned a lot. And, you know, I still, like I said, I still have dreams. I still have aspirations. So I'm not done. But I think it is time to start making what you just said, which was... Making the industry work for you. Yes. <laughs> right there. You can't be done. You just made the first album of your career. I know. Well, that's the thing. It's like I'm so... Char- like, I can't wait to get back into the studio. As funny as it is, I'm not even on tour yet. Yeah. I'm like, all right, let's get back into the studio. I have all these concepts. Mm. And I just like, I need to put music to it. I have these melodies. I've been writing can in I my phone. A, can I make one suggestion before you say goodbye to Holy f- You should do a proper... MTV Unplugged on this. Ooh, that would be sick. You should like strip this down with the players and really brushes the whole thing and you should perform this in a manner that is a different kind of heavy. I love that. That's really cool. I think that would sound f***ing sick. But anyway, what do I know? I I work for the industry. (laughs) Work! Yes! Demi Lovato diving into the subjects which inspired her brand new album, Holy Fuck, right here on the interview series. Make sure you add a rating or a comment. We appreciate you checking out these conversations. We enjoy having them. Take care.